Hello everyone and welcome to the episode about mass incarceration and our social justice system. I am Sam and I'm going to be starting off the podcast with a little bit of background and statistics and my group members Luke and Caitlin will be joining me later on. So let's go ahead and get started. To start off the beginning of this podcast, I'm going to start off with a little bit of some background and a few statistics for everybody. So to start off, a definition that we wanted to define mass incarceration, and the definition we are going to be using is that mass incarceration is the imprisonment of a large portion of the population in the United States. So for a little bit of background, how mass incarceration has came about, we're going to start off with talking about slavery. So slavery was not abolished until 1865, and what ended up abolishing slavery was our 13th Amendment. And our 13th Amendment states, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall not have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place to their jurisdiction. So later on, our government found a loophole in this 13th Amendment, where the idea of that if you are an individual who is criminalized and arrested for a crime, you are forced to work while you are in prison. And that was a loophole they ended up finding. So people who were slaves before this amendment was created and passed in Congress People now were still getting arrested for crimes and becoming a, you could say, a slave once more because they were working to rebuild the South after the Civil War. So what really was the point in this amendment when we were still subjecting the same people to slavery once again, but not calling it slavery anymore because it was so-called abolished? So in the 1870s is when the Jim Crow laws came into effect. And these laws were a collection of state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation. And during this time, blacks were painted as criminals and they were arrested for crimes and subjected to go to prison and continue working for the government just as if they were slaves as they were once before. And after the Jim Crow laws ended, we started the civil rights movement and segregation became a hot topic in the 1950s. And segregation was present all over the place. Schools were segregated, public spaces, parks, movie theaters, you name it. There was a spot for colored people and there was a a spot for white individuals and no one wanted to come in contact with the other because that's just not what was acceptable in that time. So, activists rose to fight for equal rights for black individuals, and of course, those activists were criminalized and arrested as well, even though all they were trying to do was fight for equal rights for their people when they should have had those rights as soon as slavery was abolished, instead of continuing to be seen as criminals and slaves. So that will lead us to the war on drugs. And the war on drugs began during the Nixon administration 
when there was an overuse of drugs on the streets. And, to, and today, you would think that if people were overdosing on drugs or overusing them, that could be seen as addiction and should be treated as a medical problem and people should receive treatment for that. However, during the Nixon administration, that was not the case. The war on drugs was seen as a criminal offense and not as a medical problem and people were arrested and put in prison and forced to work for the government when they should have been getting treated instead. And the prison population during that time was in the 1970s it was 3,357,000 and then within a decade it rose to 513,000 prisoners. So after Nixon was finished with his presidency Reagan was elected and during Reagan's time that's when our campaign Just Say No emerged where they wanted to encourage people to say no to drugs and they wanted to decrease the amount of drugs that were out on the streets. However, that did not show too much of an effect because during this time, crack and cocaine emerged and it created a more modern war on drugs and that became more prevalent in 1982. And people were arrested more commonly black individuals were arrested for possession of both of those drugs or using them and they got longer sentences than white individuals and during that time the prison population by 18 or night by 1985 rose to almost 780,000 prisoners and to share a couple of statistics today the US currently makes up uh, 5% of the world's population However, we hold 21% of the world's prisoners. And for every 1 in 37 adults in the United States, they are under some form of correctional correctional supervision, which I find very mind-boggling and something that needs to be changed. So now I'm going to hand it over to Caitlin, and she's going to discuss the criminal justice process, and then we will hear from Luke later on with some student-generated questions. A major factor that leads to mass incarceration is the criminal justice process. When a person is arrested for a crime, they are taken in to be booked. This is where the arrestee is being processed into the criminal justice system. And from there, they have their initial appearance to meet in front of a judge. At this point, the person has a right to meet with a prosecutor and discuss either going to trial or taking a plea. The issue is that many members of mass incarceration are more often than not given from the prosecutor a much higher sentence. That way, it is necessary for them to take the plea deal. The reason that the prosecutor wants the defendant to take the plea is because it is far cheaper to take their plea than have and go to trial. And more often than not, both the prosecutor and the judge will receive kickbacks from the defendant taking the plea. So many ask, why doesn't the person go to trial if they are innocent? Well, there are many reasons for that. The first one is that they cannot afford the legal fees associated with going to trial. Additionally, they are told that if they take the plea, they will have a shortened sentence because the fact of the matter is, going to a trial for a 30-year sentence is far more terrifying than agreeing to sign a plea where you only serve five years. 
Thirdly, if you choose to go to trial, you must be able to afford bail, which can be very expensive in some cases, and if they want to avoid sitting in jail until the trial is over, this is their only option, which can take months to reach trial. And while waiting in jail, you face a chance of losing your job, not being able to care for your family, or lose the ability to pay for your home. It is not just about locking people up based on the color of their skin. Mass incarceration has become essentially a business. Private prisons have allowed companies to require the inmates to use the services and monopolize off of them. Some examples include Securus company that will inflate the price of phone calls for the inmates. According to the video that we watched in class called 13th, it will take an hour and a half to make minimum wage to pay for 10 minutes of a phone call. Other companies like Victoria's Secret and Idaho Potatoes come in and have their inmates work for a much lower wage than if they had non-inmates doing the same job. In the justice system, there are many situations where African Americans have been targeted for crimes and placed in jail for these crimes despite them not committing them. In the case of Anthony Ray Hinton, an African American male who was wrongly convicted of murder and was sentenced to death. The only evidence in this case was from a police officer who found a gun in Hinton's mother's house that she kept for her own protection. There was no ballistics ran at the time of the shooting, and many years later on, the only ballistics person they used was blind, and Hinton ended up spending 30 years on death row. At the time of the murder, an officer came into Hinton's home and said there were five things that would lead to his conviction. Number one, the detective said to him, you are black. Then he said, the second reason is, a white man will say you shot him. The third reason was that Hinton was going to have a white prosecutor. The fourth factor leading to Hinton being convicted was the judge was going to be white. And the last reason was that more than likely, the jury would be all white. The detective said to him that this is a combination that would result in the conviction of Hinton. Despite the lack of evidence, the fact is that Hinton was an African-American man and it made him another member of the United States that would join the mass incarceration population. Hi there, this is Luke. I am going to be talking about the student-generated questions and I will also be bringing us to a close. So one of the questions asked if we would be talking about things that have happened in the past and compare it to how it is happening today in the um, mass incarceration. So I would say that we definitely touch on things in the past, such as the Jim Crow era, and we also come up to what's happening in the present as well. So looking at the future of mass incarceration, um, we found some statistics on uh, a website called prisonpolicy.org and they explained the question of how long would it take us to undo the buildup of correctional control in the U.S. since the 1970s, holding constant the constant average yearly decline. So looking at that, it said that it will be 2049 when the federal prison population returns to normal. It'll be 2122 when the state prison populations return to normal. It'll be 2084 when the local jail populations return to normal, and it will be 2098 when the population under probation and parole supervision returns to normal. Those are staggering 
We also were asked the question if African-American women as a growing population in the prison system were going to be explained or discussed. Our group didn't really focus on that. However, we did find some information from the Equal Justice Initiative. This was saying that the United States is one of the top incarcerators of all women in the world. Uh, A new report from the Sentencing Project shows that between 1980 and 2016, the number of women incarcerated in American jails and prisons increased by more than 700%. So from 26,000 about to 213,000 in 2016. So while the rate of imprisonment for African American women has been declining since 2000, the 2016 rate was twice the rate of the imprisonment for white women. So 96 per 100,000 African American women compared to 49 per 100,000 white women. We also found that girls of color were much more likely to be incarcerated than white girls. The number of incarcerated youth has actually declined significantly, but the placement rate for African-American girls and Native girls is more than three times greater than for white girls. We were asked if we think um, that watching more documentaries about mass incarceration other than the 13th film that we watched for class would help us with our podcast. Um, I would definitely say that more would help us. I didn't personally have the time to watch more, but I know that I've seen some in my other classes, and it was very interesting to see the politicians' points of views as well. We did discuss some of the implications of the war on drugs promoted by Nixon and Reagan, And when we look into organizations like the ACLU and others who stand against the rising prison rates and the use of private prisons, we can see just from the ACLU's website that there's an abundance of information and ways to get involved. Um, Currently, there are over 1,700 staffers in every state fighting for these people's constitutional rights. Um, The last question that we were asked is if we think that there would be specific politicians who have made steps towards such high rates of racially-based incarceration. And our group actually talks about the film we were able to watch in class called 13th and how each of these politicians have some sort of opinion on what is happening and what can be done. So to wrap things up, it is important to understand the effects of the mass incarceration that our country is facing. It doesn't only affect the people in the prisons, It affects our families, their children, teachers, law enforcement, you name it. It affects everybody. It's the time that we bring the attention to these issues at hand. It's staggering and mind-blowing to see the amount the prisons have grown in such a short amount of time. And it's so important for us to educate people on all of these issues that are arising, as well as the issues that we have not resolved. It's also important to understand the statistics and background information, as well as the processes in the criminal justice system that we have. We must also take a look at the financial gains and wrongful convictions that we are experiencing. Things will not get better just by sitting back and watching. These are people. This is mass incarceration. (laughs) 